1 Samuel chapter 25, there is perhaps one of the worst marriages that you read about in all of the Bible. There is a sweet wife, a godly woman, her name is Abigail, and her husband is a sorry loser of a man, his name is Nabal. In 1 Samuel 25 and verse 17, listen to what Nabal's servants say about him. This is the middle of the verse. They said, harm is determined against our master and against all of his household, for he is such a son of Belial that a man cannot speak to him. The New King James says, he's such a scoundrel. The ESV says, he's such a worthless man. If you skip down to verse 25, this is what his own sweet wife said as she's pleading to David about Nabal in an effort to save his life. She said, let not my Lord, that is David, regard this worthless fellow Nabal, as for his name is, so is he. She said, I know he's worthless. She said, he's just like his name. Nabal means folly. She said, as his name is, folly is with him. If you read the text, what you will see is he's described as a stingy man. He's selfish. He's self-indulgent. He's difficult. The Bible says he doesn't listen. You can't talk to him. I want to suggest to you that this paints a picture of a miserable home life. And you know, it is unfortunate, but there are many young girls who dream of marrying Prince Charming, but instead they find that they are married to a Nabal. And though the, they planned on hep, happily ever after, it hasn't turned out that way. And so what they have is a home that they really don't look forward to going to. I want to suggest to you that tonight we're going to study some Bible principles that should help to make a happy home. And that's the title of the lesson tonight, Eight Principles from Proverbs That Make a Happy Home. And so what I've done is I've just gone through the book of Proverbs. I've picked out eight verses that relate to relationships and home life. And what I'm going to do is I'm going to read the verse, I'm going to make the point, and then we're going to see what we can draw. Some of these are husband-wife, and some of them are uh, parent-child, whoever lives in your house. But um, eight points from Proverbs that make a happy home. Here is the first one. The proverb is Proverbs 25 and verse 11. It says, a word fitly spoken is like apples of gold in pictures of silver. Some versions say apples of gold in a setting of silver. The point that I want to draw from that is kind words. You can call it gold apples if you want to. Now what's the principle that we get from this that will make your home life better? Well, Colossians chapter 4 and verse 6 says, let your speech be always with grace seasoned with salt. Friends, I'll tell you one reason that many homes are not happy and it has to do with the way that we talk to each other. You know, the husband comes home from work and the wife has worked extra hard to make him a special good dinner and he sits down and he says, you know, we have the same thing every night. What do you expect the next response out of her mouth is going to be? Do you think it's going to contribute to a happy home? You know, the Bible says, let your speech be always with grace, seasoned with salt. Grace is unmerited favor. And salt is a preservative that adds flavor. And so the Lord is telling us here that when you talk to other people, it should involve kindness even when they don't deserve it. That is unmerited favor. 
Your words should preserve and strengthen relationships, not leave a bad taste in people's mouths. But the man says, but you don't understand. She makes the same meal every other night. What am I supposed to do? How about this? How about you sit down and say something like this, try to practice this principle? Honey, thanks for having this meal ready and doing this every night. I so appreciate you, and I was really hungry tonight. And later in the conversation, what if you said something like this? Can we have some of your baked chicken tomorrow night? I love your baked chicken. And Thursday night, I'm taking you out for dinner. Did he address the problem? Yeah, he did. But he did it with grace, seasoned with salt. It's a different approach. Now listen to this proverb again. A word fitly spoken is like apples of gold. Imagine the value of a solid gold apple. Gold is very high in value right now. It goes up and down, but it's very high right now. A few years ago, Sherry and I took some old gold and some jewelry that we had, and we, we took it and we sold it, and I was surprised how much you can get for gold. Imagine a 24-karat gold apple, and this says apples, and this would be worth something. The point of this proverb is a word properly spoken at the right time Boy, that is worth something. Listen to this one. Proverbs 3.27 says, Do not withhold good from those to whom it is due, when it is within the power of your hand to do so. What is the point of that? If you've got the power to say something kind, don't withhold it. Men, have you ever had a time that you saw your wife and she just looked so beautiful, it kind of made your heart flutter, but, but you didn't say anything? Or women, have you ever had that moment when your husband did something and it just struck you, wow, he's such a good husband, such a good father, and you just didn't say anything? Proverbs chapter 3 and verse 27, do not withhold good from whom it is due when it's within your the power of your hand to do so. And I'll tell you how to violate this principle. If you want to violate the principle we're talking about, yell at your spouse. You should never have an occasion where you belittle your spouse, where you yell at your spouse. That should never happen in a home. If that's happening, something is going wrong. Almost any sentence that starts with, well, you always, if it starts with those words, you're going to mess up. Proverbs 29 and verse 11 says this, A fool vents all of his feelings, but a wise man holds them back. Proverbs 25 and verse 1 says, a soft answer turns away wrath, but harsh words stir up anger. Brethren, the reason that a lot of homes are not happy is because we don't get this principle right. That is, seasoned speech, kind words, you can call it gold apples. We need more gold apples at home because it sets off, if you don't get this right, it sets off a chain reaction in other areas that deteriorate the home life. If you get this one right, it goes a long way to go in the right direction. I got eight of them. That's the first one. I got to speed up here. Here's the second one. It's from Proverbs 27, 14. This is an interesting one. He who blesses his friend with a loud voice rising early in the morning, it will be counted as a curse to him. Now, I'm calling this the golden rule. 
And I really like this one because it is such a practical application. Now, of course, the golden rule says, Matthew 7 and verse 12, Therefore, whatever you would that you want men to do to you, do you also unto them, for this is the law and the prophets. It just relates to how we should treat each other. Now, he says in this specific one, he who blesses a friend, everyone likes to be blessed. You like to have people say kind things to you, but if they come into your bedroom and they do it early in the morning and they yell, have a good day, well, that's not going to be a blessing to you. I say this after the night that I get thrown out of the floor and I yell at Sherry in the middle of the night. And in fact, I was on the way to the bedroom and when the wheelchair launched me out, I actually hit the bedroom door and I'm laying on the floor, and then I hear Sherry saying, get up, get up, get up. Well, then I find out it was the cat that was laying on her. She was screaming, <laughs> get up at the cat, not, not at me. It's like, I can't get up. That's the problem. <laughs> well, when you're talking about this, and you're thinking about saying kind words, we're talking about the golden rule. The reason I like this proverb to apply to the golden rule is it takes some consideration. I really have to stop and think about what the person would like or what the person would dislike. I, this particular proverb demands that I be considerate. It's going to make me treat my spouse with kindness. And you know the strange thing? Oftentimes, we, we really don't like to do this sort of thing when, when we hear someone preach on the golden rule because we think, this is not a real law. You know the golden rule? That's not a real command. It's more like a suggestion. If you hear a sermon, don't drink. That's real. Don't steal. That's real. Don't lie. That's, that, that's real. But when you hear something talking about uh, kindness or the golden rule, that's more like the golden suggestion. No, that, that's kid stuff. We don't need a sermon on that. And particularly when we, it comes to applying it to our family, we have a hard time doing this. We might want to apply the golden rule to other people, but somehow it just doesn't translate into our family. But I tell you a secret, you cannot have a happy home if you don't practice the golden rule. It is impossible. We need to preach on this. We need to practice this. We need to teach it to our children. Here's something else. If you do practice the golden rule, your children will grow up practicing the golden rule. But if you are smart aleck in your house, if you are belligerent to one another, if you don't respect one another, your children are also going to learn that. Now, when I say the golden rule, that, that's rather generic. And that's why this one is so good, because it is practical. It is specific. I know people don't like to be spoken to loudly early in the morning. And so I've got to stop and I've got to think about their feelings. And so if I know that my wife does not like it when I throw my clothes on the floor, but I do it day after day, what I'm saying to her is, I don't really care about the way you feel. At least that's the way it's going to come across to her. But the golden rule is going to motivate me to do things that I might not naturally do. And if you start practicing this, your happiness scale at your home will shoot upward. And not just with your, your spouse, but also with your kids. Okay, obviously i got to pick up the, the pace here. Here's number three. The proverb is chapter 15 and verse 33. It says, before honor is humility. And I'm calling the point selflessness. 
Why do I say that? Because humility is when a person can accept it's not all about me. It's not all about me. Now, I'm going to share with you something that secular counselors will sometimes advise people. Many secular marriage counselors and counselors of of, uh, various family situations, they will tell people, you need to do what fulfills you. You need to do what makes you happy. Some will even suggest if you're not happy with your current spouse, then you should get a divorce. I'm here to tell you just the opposite. Before honor is humility. If you want to have a happy marriage, learn to live not for you. Learn to live for your spouse. This is one of the paradoxes of Christianity, and that is that service brings happiness. And if I could summarize the number one problem in marriages today, it is this selfishness. But if you have a husband and a wife who live to make each other happy, you will be amazed how good your marriage would be. There was a a wise preacher, a man, he'd been preaching more than 50 years, and he told me something that he said an older preacher told him when he was just a young preacher, and he said it had been passed down. It has to do with relationships, whether it's marriage, whether it's the workplace, And he said this, he said that sometimes when he's talking to people, they will say, well, it always has to be his way. Why does it always have to be his way? And he said he would ask this question, is his way scriptural? Well, yeah. Does his way get the job done? Well, yeah. Then why not do it his way? And he said the reason the person does not want to do it that way is because of selfishness. It's because of pride. If you could do that, the problem would go away. But the person says, no, I don't want it to be his way. I want it to be my way. Pride comes into the relationship and you have problems. Here's the fourth one. The fourth one is the word contentment. And it comes from Proverbs 23, verses 4 and 5. The Bible says, do not overwork to be rich because of your own understanding cease. The point is to learn contentment. In Ecclesiastes, Solomon says it this way, he who loves silver will not be satisfied with silver, nor he who loves abundance with increase. Ecclesiastes 5.10. The point is, you think that if I get to this level financially, I'll be satisfied. He says, you won't. You just won't because you will think, I want a little bit more. The point is, money is never going to make you happy. And a lot of people are not happy in their marriage because they haven't learned contentment. They're never happy with their house. They aren't happy with their car. They want to take better and fancier vacations. And they are always focusing on what they don't have instead of thanking God for the rich, wonderful blessings that they do have. And sometimes a man will start thinking, you know, I wish my wife were prettier. And then he starts entertaining thoughts, and, and it creates general unhappiness in his life. There's a mindset in this. If you count your many blessings and name them one by one, it quickly begins to create contentment and satisfaction in your heart. Every time I get to feeling down about my situation, when I stop and start counting my blessings, it completely revokes it. it completely reverses it. I read a survey that was done several years ago by Citibank. And this survey, it's several years old now, but it said at the time, 
57% of divorced couples cited money as the primary cause of their divorce. So ask yourself, has money ever caused friction in your marriage? If yes, why? Is it because you're wanting more than you have? Is it because you're not living within your means? Is it something that a big dose of contentment could fix? You know, Philippians 4 and verse 11, Paul said, I have learned in whatsoever state I am therewith to be content. And one version in the next verse says this, I know what it is to be in need. I know what it is to have plenty. I have learned the secret of being content in any and every situation, whether well-fed or hungry, whether living in plenty or want. That is, Paul said, I've been at both extremes. I've had plenty. I've been without. I've been hungry. I've been full. He said, but I've learned to be content regardless of the situation. If you want a happy home, learn contentment and count your blessings, and it will be a huge step in that direction. Number five, this is from Proverbs 11 and verse 9. The hypocrite with his mouth destroys his neighbor, but through knowledge the righteous will be de delivered. Now the point that I'm going to pull out of this is we need to be consistent. Be the person that you are on Sunday. Now what do I mean by that? A lot of people... They will be one person when they walk into the church building on Sunday, but when they go home, they're a different person. This verse says, the hypocrite destroys with his mouth. A hypocrite is a person who is an actor. The root word carries with it the idea of an actor. He is something that he appears not to be. He appears to be something holy, but when he gets away from holy people, he doesn't talk holy. In fact, he talks very ungodly. And you see, there are many people who will put on their suit and tie and their church clothes and they come to services, but when they get home, they take off their church clothes and they take off their Christianity until the next week. Again, your children see that. Children are smart. They see that. They see hypocrisy in parents. And if mama and daddy talk a certain way on Sunday and they behave differently the rest of the week, the children are going to know that. They see through the hypocrisy. If you go to church on Sunday morning and you never crack your Bible the rest of the week, they see that. If you never pray, they see that. If you never try to teach anyone, they see that. If you want a happy home and a heaven-bound home, you got to live your life so that Christianity is present all the time. you got to be consistent. 2 Timothy chapter 1 and verse 5, Paul said to Timothy, I call to remembrance the genuine faith that is in you. He said, which first was in your grandmother Lois and in your mother Eunice, and I'm persuaded it's in you also. He said Timothy had genuine faith. Where did he get it? He grew up in a house where it was exhibited by his grandmother and his mother, and Paul, by inspiration, said that you saw it living, and that's why you have it. Be a Sunday Christian every day of the week. Number six, this is from Proverbs 31, 27. This, of course, is written about the worthy woman. It says, she watches over the ways of her household, and she does not eat the bread of idleness. Now, the point that I want to make is make time for your family. Listen to verse 28. Her children rise up and call her blessed. Her husband also, he praises her. 
You know, there's been a debate in our country in the last several years about quantity time versus quality time with our family and especially with our children. Can you get just as much good from having some quality time, but we don't really have as much quantity time with our children and our family? Listen to Deuteronomy 6 and verse 6. The old law said, And these words which I command you today shall be in your heart. You shall teach them diligently to your children. You shall talk to them when you sit in your house, and when you walk by the way, and when you go to bed, and when you get up. Now, I want you to look at that verse and see what it says about quality time. It doesn't say anything about quality time. He doesn't say, be sure to get in quality time with your children. What he talks about is quantity time. Four times a day, he said you need to be teaching your children. Now, what are those four times? When you get up in the morning, when you go to bed at night, when you're in your house, and when you're out of the house. If you get those four times right, then you don't have to worry about the rest because it's going to fall in place. You see, the problem with the quality time theory is you never know when those teachable moments are going to arrive. What if a police officer said, I'm only going to work when a crime is occurring? What's the problem with that? You never know when that moment is going to be. And if you want a happy home, we need to make more time. We need to make intentional time for our children, husbands, wives, time to be together. I know of a man that he has a chair in his bedroom. He calls the listening chair. And it's sitting next to the bed. And every night before he goes to bed, he sits down in that chair. And his wife's in the bed. And he just asks her, tell me about your day. And he just listens. You know why he does that? It's the golden rule. He's showing kindness. He's showing consideration. He's showing selflessness. He wants her to know, I am making time and I care about you. And they've got open communication. And he does it every single night. And it strengthens his marriage. Here is number seven. This is from Proverbs 1, 7 and 8. It says, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. But fools despise wisdom and instruction. My son, hear the instruction of your father and do not forsake the law of your mother. Now, here's the rule. Talk about spiritual things in your house. Have a spiritual emphasis in your house. This proverb talks about the fear of the Lord being the beginning of knowledge. And he says this, son, listen to your father. Son, listen to your mother. What's the implication? The implication is your father and mother are talking to you about spiritual things. You know, we mentioned a moment ago about Deuteronomy chapter 6, where the Jews would talk to their children four times a day. This was something they deliberately did. They talked about spiritual things in their house. So, do we do that? You know, we talk to our kids about a lot of things. We talk about our possessions, and we talk about our jobs, and we talk about our favorite recreation, and who's winning what ball game, and about our schoolwork. There are a lot of things to talk about. But how much do we talk about the Lord and spiritual things and have eye-to-eye -eye conversations about Jesus? That's how the Jews did it. Brother Alan Hires is one of my favorite gospel preachers. Brother Hires... I don't know how old he is now, 85, maybe 90. He's, he's getting up in years. But uh, for years, he was a judge in Memphis, Tennessee, and he served for a long time as a juvenile judge. Brother Hires made some interesting observations. He said that through the years, 
that his court would collect information on every child who came through the court. He would have them fill out a sheet, and they just wanted to know some things about their background. And at the end of each year, they would publish that data so that people would have an idea what the problem areas were. And so he asked this question, do you know which religious affiliation most seldom turned up in his court? Makes you wonder, doesn't it? What religious affiliation most seldom, most rarely turned up in court? And here's the answer. He said the religion with the lowest percentage for bringing children to the court was the Jews. Now, why is that? Well, think about this. With the Jews, many of their religious activities are not conducted in their house of worship, that is, their synagogue. They are conducted in their house. They are conducted with the family. For example, once a week on Friday night, the Jewish family assembles for a meal that they call the cedar. At that meal, they light candles, and each candle has a religious connotation, and they talk about it. They open the book of the law. They discuss the different laws and the religious ceremony. Now, they have things at the building, of course, at the synagogue, but the emphasis is on the home. Can we learn something from that? Here's the challenge. I want to issue to those of you especially that have kids. Have nightly devotionals. And I know I've said this before, but it's something we need to think about and be reminded of because there are going to be several benefits to this. Number one, it will help your family to set priorities. Obviously, by setting aside time each evening, you're going to say we're going to get away from the television and we're going to focus and talk about the Lord. Number two, it cements parents and children together with the Lord because in that time, you're going to be having spiritual discussion and it's going to create a bond there. Number three, it gives parents confidence that they are doing something to carry out the instruction to raise their children in the nurture and the admonition of the Lord. And number four, it gives you an opportunity to answer some of the questions that are going to come up. Now, when your kids are little, it might be some simple, innocent questions. Maybe your kindergartner, your first grader says, you know, I was at school and I heard my friends say whatever, and they ask about that and you talk about it. Maybe they get older and they begin to have questions about doctrine or maybe about their goals in life. And, you know, what do you want to be when you grow up? What about your Christianity? And these are things they get to think about and talk to you about. Here's the last one. This is from Proverbs 4.23. The Bible says, Keep your heart with all diligence, for out of it spring the issues of life. Brethren, this proverb says, Keep your heart with all diligence. Guard your heart. Don't let any bad thing into your heart. Protect your heart at all costs. Why? Because your heart affects how you live. Your heart, of course, the Bible heart is the mind. The heart affects how you serve the Lord. It affects how you feel. Now, I'm going to give one point. I'll wrap this up. When we're talking about keeping your heart, be careful what you watch on the TV. Be careful what you watch on the computer and the tablet and YouTube and streaming services. Imagine spending time trying to fill your kids with godly things, and you say, we're going to have devotional time, it's 30 minutes, 
And then when you get done, they take their iPad and they go sit for two hours and they watch something that's very ungodly and dilutes just the opposite of what you've done. You know, Romans chapter 1 gives a list of sins, specifically things that the Bible says will take you to hell. And it includes fornication, wickedness, homosexuality, envy, murder, disobedience to parents. And then in verse 32, he says, these are things that are worthy of death. That is, spiritual death. But then he adds this, not only those who do these things, but also they who take pleasure in them. I've thought about that many times. Not only those who engage in these wicked things, but those who take pleasure in them. What if that's your entertainment? Is that sort of thing? We need to stop and think what we are putting into our hearts, especially with regard to our children. Brethren, we can have happy homes, we can have heaven-bound homes, and the answers to how to do it are in the Bible. Thank you for your attention tonight. I appreciate it so very much. Maybe you're here tonight and you need to obey the gospel. We would be delighted if we could assist you. The Bible teaches to become a Christian. You need to hear, believe, repent, confess, and be baptized. If you want to do that tonight, we would be delighted to help you. Maybe you're a Christian and you've got sin that needs to be confessed publicly. You desire the prayers of your Christian brethren on your behalf, and we would count it an honor if we could do that. If you need to respond to the invitation tonight in any way, we invite you to come as we stand and sing the invitation song.